0: Howdy do, do, neighbor. It's Berean Spirit's time once again. The boys have gathered around and they're ready for you. So join in, make comments, and study with the guys as they try to study as the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17. Now, here's the guys.
1: Another beautiful Thursday morning, the last Thursday of November 2023. I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving and enjoyed time with friends and family and loved ones and ate some amazing food. My name is Chris Peltz. I'm the evangelist with the South Side Church of Christ here in Springfield, Missouri. And we've got Josh Thornhill from the Brookmead Church of Christ over in Johnson City, Tennessee josh how you doing brother i am doing good i'm, I'm yeah. doing good stuff like a turkey yeah yeah pretty much pretty yeah much. awesome <laughs> i tell you what man I, I and uh and i think richard and i talked about this uh one day as well but we we always ask the same question this time of year why is it we don't cook turkey more often i mean it's so all it's so good right and and of course i usually do it in the spring for for uh spring turkey season and then you know in the fall for for thanksgiving but i don't know why we don't
2: do it more often it's so good i think <laughs> most people just don't like it because they don't cook it well yeah i mean it's just maybe. it's just something you have to do for thanksgiving and so you know, they don't cook it well, they just throw it in the oven and they, they dry it out and it's like the Sahara Desert. And then, you know, they don't like it and so they you know, they don't want it. You know what I mean? You know what I mean?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. But uh
2: but anyway it but Not it, it's all good. Major good cooks like you, Chris.
1: Yeah. <laughs> ah sounds like you had a pretty good one though. You turned out pretty well.
2: Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Richard Dodson from the Kearney Church of Christ in Kearney, Missouri. Richard, you had a good Thanksgiving as well?
0: Oh, man, it was one of the best. My, uh celebrated oh. my father's 90th birthday, and wow. we welcomed my nephew, uh, him and Megan's uh, baby, into the family. We haven't got to meet her yet, so we brought her to Thanksgiving, and we got to and welcome her into the family. So... It was it was kind of both ends, so it was it was very special.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Lot, lot to be thankful for.
1: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, we're back at it here on Berean Spirits, and uh, we're we're gonna be talking about something.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, we are. Yeah, something Bible related. I yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, speaking talking- boldly,
0: there you go.
1: Yeah, speaking boldly in Christ. <laughs> I hope we'll talk about it. It kind of threw me it. because we we were talking about being courageous, and um, it it was interesting. Uh, you know, Richard. You know, he he always wants to be well prepared, and so he's like, "Hey, let you know what about talking about courage and being courageous?" and then. I got an email like the very next day, completely unrelated, not nothing you know religious related or anything like that. I get an email from a guy who wrote this little uh, little article about uh, his life and about the, you know starting a business and it was all about being courageous. And so I sent it to him. I'm like, man, I'm getting flooded with this uh, this week, which was actually kind of neat. Uh, and then when I get ready for the show this morning, I look at the title and it's like it, the word courage isn't there and it threw me it just absolutely <laughs> it threw me for a loop I'm like wait a minute um,
0: dude! you you looked at the title this, are you being 100% accurate with our audience or did you just show up halfway asleep asking what are we doing the show about
1: well that's what I asked because it was confusing. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so oh man! But we are going to be talking about being courageous and and speaking boldly in Christ. I, I think this is a pretty important subject for a few reasons. We always talk about trials and tribulations. There's always difficulties that we are faced with, and uh, and and struggles that we go through. But it seems as though more and more, uh, there are a lot more. Um, uh, anti-religious and anti-christian sentiments that are being proclaimed a lot of false doctrine that is out there and when you speak the truth there's going to be a lot of ridicule uh that is going to come our way and, and i mean it happens generally speaking just you know as far as the world is concerned but especially when it comes to uh speaking the gospel of christ and 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 speaking the truth there is a lot of uh, unfortunate situations we find ourselves in. So, with all of that said, um, you know we're we are going to be talking about being bold in Christ, and we've got several examples, especially throughout the Book of Acts, right, where the apostles are being persecuted, Paul's being stoned and beaten and thrown out of cities, and uh, the apostles are being beaten and commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore, and. And all it did, all that persecution did in the Scriptures for those who were faithful to God is is give them courage and embolden them even more to speak the gospel of Christ everywhere they went. And so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about uh, this morning. So, Josh, you want to get us rolling? Ha! Ha, (laughs) ha, ha, ha! Well, I figured if we start at the top of the hill, you know, you know, get him get his wheels a turning.
0: Yeah, we gotta pull the rope. Oh boy! <laughs> and when I say pull the rope, have anybody ever pulled a rope to start a lawnmower? You know how you gotta yank on it and yank on it and yank on it, and that's what Chris and I always kid each other about when we talk about when Josh first starts to talk. There's a long pause, and so we're sitting there pretending to pull the rope to get Josh's motor started. Once <laughs> it's going, it's great but you got to keep pulling that rope to get the engine started. So, all right, Josh, we're pulling the rope.
2: <laughs> well, you know, sometimes it just uh, takes a second for the, the wisdom to get ready to flow. Yeah. So. seconds.
0: seconds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chris just left the room.
2: I imagine it has to do with the dog, but anyway, um, <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm sure it did.
2: You know, I think related to you know what what Chris was talking about in the book of Acts, as far as the boldness of their preaching, I think first of all it it boiled down to the fact that their they knew that their message was extremely important. Yeah, I was kind of thinking of James one nineteen. Uh, you know, the be swift to hear, slow to speak. You know, I'm just trying to do what the Bible says, guys. Um. Anyway, um, the guys in the the book of Acts, you know, they had they recognized the importance of the message that they were speaking. Um, As, you know, Peter says to Jesus in John chapter six, when the people just kind of abandon or walk away from Jesus after Jesus boldly speaks to them. uh, You know, Jesus turns to the disciples and asks, are you going to go away, too? And Peter says, well, who, who to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so I think that the the apostles had that boldness because they recognized the importance of the message that they were bringing. Uh, they knew that they had the words of eternal life, the words that could change people's lives and had changed people's lives, and it had changed their lives. And so they were willing to, to speak that even in the midst of great consequences. They truly believed in the message that they spoke. And I think uh, one one place we could look uh, to indicate that would be in Second Corinthians chapter five. Um, at the end of chapter four, or the middle part of chapter four, Paul uh, addresses the idea that the uh, the apostles had suffered greatly uh, as a result of the preaching of the gospel. But they continued on. He says at the end of chapter four, this outward man is perishing; the inward man is being renewed day by day. And then he goes on into chapter five to talk about this earthly tent. Even if it's destroyed, we have a a dwelling made from God, eternal in the heavens. We're going to be clothed with our eternal habitation. And so, you know, coming back to your idea of courage there, Chris, um, in verse six, Paul says, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage and re- prefer rather to be absent from the body to be at home with the Lord. I think Paul's point is I'm willing to speak boldly because I know the promises that I'm speaking and I trust the promises that I'm speaking. Like Paul says, I am I know that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Uh, Paul and the rest of the apostles, they were willing to boldly speak the truth because they knew the value of the message, but they also knew that even if they it cost them their life, there was going to be a tremendous award, reward awaiting them after the life their life ended. And so yeah, I think it boils down to the conviction of what they had in the message that they were bringing. They trusted it as coming from God. They trusted the value of it, the eternal life that it brought. And they knew that you know, people weren't going to be able to take it away from them. And so they had great boldness as they they spoke the truth.
0: Well, now let me ask you this though, and I get, let this, me answer this one, uh, one of, uh, our viewers, your dad, Thomas is here. I'm, does it take a lot of boldness to eat a raw Turkey on Thanksgiving?
2: I wouldn't know. Cause I'm not eating a raw Turkey on Thanksgiving.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> no, that's an inside joke. Uh, but no, seriously though, uh, they didn't always have boldness. And I'm thinking about Peter specifically. I I can't Mm -hmm. speak for the others. But now Peter denied Jesus three times one night and, uh, you know, before the rooster crowed. And then there was another time where it wasn't really speaking, but he refused to eat with the uh, uh, Gentiles. And uh, he was confronted with that. So, I mean, that's kind of a manifestation of somebody not being courageous and standing for the truth. Uh and and my only point and, and Josh, I'll put this back on you. My only point is is that it's not an easy thing to stand up and proclaim God's word uh at all times. I mean, when we're talking about being speaking boldly, you know, this is something that 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 takes a lot of um a lot of faith. And uh, it doesn't just happen. I, I fully um, sympathize with Peter. And when I look at Peter, and of course, you know, I think he believed. I mean, look at all the things that he's seen, like you mentioned. Where else is he going to go? I mean, he knew Jesus had the words of life, so where is he going to go? But yet, you know, when all the pressure was applied, he folded. And... You know, too many times, you know, I personally uh, have felt pressure in my life not to speak boldly. I can only imagine uh, that any Christian has felt that same pressure. And so, Josh, you know, the, the and I'll put this back on you. How, how can me and everyone else um, overcome that, overcome the fear of, uh, uh, or is that something you overcome? Is it just something that you, you know, it's it, the fear is always going to be there, but you got to meet it and you, and you just gotta, you gotta do it anyway. I mean, how, how, how would you go about doing that?
2: I think that's probably more of a multifaceted answer. Um, at some point, I mean, you're just going to have to rise above the fear. Um, I know there's times where, I mean, I've spoken in the midst of, you know, fear and I've just, just said, spoke it anyway, you know, and and it's like, you kind of would rather just curl under the pew and not say anything, but you know, the truth is the truth that it needs to be spoken. Um, so sometimes I think you just have to to push through that. But I also think that uh, the more you push through that that initial fear and speak the truth in, in boldness, you're also going to develop more courage and boldness to be able to, to speak in the future. You know, especially if you're, you're kind of looking around and think, well, I, I didn't die. Uh, <laughs> you know, they didn't kill me or stone me like Steven. So, you know, maybe it wasn't that bad. Um, maybe,
0: maybe not that time.
2: Well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, you and I both know preachers who have uh, well, they've quit preaching, or they moved to different congregations because their jobs were threatened for what they were preaching, and uh, and and there had been some that I know of that have changed the message because of the fear they could not rise above it, and you know that's that's a very danger to uh to this the the cause of the gospel is when uh the preachers start changing the message because they can't live with the uh the fear of speaking the truth and so i don't think it's something when chris said this is an important topic i think it's a very important topic because i'll give you an example numbers 14 joshua and caleb you know they were they were Some of the, they were part of the 12 spies that were sent out to uh, go through the uh, promised land and spy out the land and come back and give their report. And of course, you know, once they came back, the majority of the people, the 10 spies were like, Hey, look, there's giants in this land. You know, this, uh, this land is truly a land flowing with milk and honey, but we can't take it. They're although crush us, they'll destroy us. And all the people started listening to the majority, you know, the majority's message until the only ones we know that the Bible speaks of is, is, you know, other than Moses is is Joshua and Caleb who were standing up for the truth. And I can think of circumstances where one man may have to go up against an entire congregation of people or uh, you know, even a higher, maybe outside the church, he may have to go up against a uh, an even higher number and have to stand up for the truth, knowing that, that the truth, you know, those people are not going to want to hear that message. And they can look upon him and they will look upon him the same way that the uh, uh, Jews looked upon Stephen in Acts 7. And so I guess that's my, my question is, is how can we build up our faith to the point that we're going to be like Joshua and Caleb when our time comes? Because that's, that's, that's really the essence of Christianity. That's the trial. We have to be willing to stand up for Christ when, when that time comes. It's easy to stand up for Christ when everybody's standing up for Christ but when nobody else is standing up for him, you know, are we going to act like Peter and not eat with the Gentiles? or are we going to be like Joshua and Caleb?
1: Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of things to this that there's some development that has to take place to get to that point, right? There is a zeal, right? We are to be zealous not only for for good works, but just we're to be zealous for God and that zeal will help us in one sense but also understanding what Paul talked about in Romans chapter 8 where he talked about the trials and the tribulations of this world don't even compare to the promises that we have of eternal glory right so everything that that is coming against us in this life in the flesh is is minuscule right it it, it is um of such disvalue that it can't even compare to the value we have in Christ and the glory that awaits us and the glories of you know in heaven. And and also you look at Second Peter chapter three, starting in verse 10, where he says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens and earth will pass away with a great noise, and the works and everything in it will be burned with a fervent heat. Knowing these things will take place, what manner of life ought you to live? And he goes on in verse 12, look for and hasten that day. Understanding that these things are are temporal and there is an eternity, I think helps give us courage and boldness to understand that there is life beyond this world and this, this physical life. But this is something that they've been facing. You went back to to Joshua and Caleb earlier, Richard. Going back to the Book of Joshua, chapter one, when Joshua was going to take over for Moses and lead them into the Promised Land, Uh, you know, remember the message: be strong and courageous, be of good courage. I mean, that was God telling Joshua because he understood that this this was needed. He that there was a uh, a fear of the people and a fear of Joshua of failing, not only failing God but failing the people. But as a leader, he had to be courageous. And, and what is courage? Right? It is strength in the face of fear. And 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 so that I think is part of the beginning <clears throat> is that zeal, and then the understanding that uh, that this world is temporal and we need to be focused on the eternal things.
0: I, I, I think you're right there on that second point. I agree with everything, but the, the part about understanding that this world's temporal, uh, that leads me to think that sometimes we're hanging on a little too tight to this world. Yeah. And uh, there is a passage that I think applies very much to what we're talking about. And that's in Philippians chapter one. And uh, in in that passage, uh, in verse, oh, let me just read verse 12 through 14. He goes, Paul said, I would, uh, but I would, you should understand, brethren, the things that have happened to me have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak and the word without fear. Now, in the same context, though, if we just go down uh, a few verses, there is a reminder, a good reminder of this whole thing. It says, Paul says, "For, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, that is something that we really need to be, that needs to be reinforced in us when we're when we're being baptized into Christ that supposedly is is what we're saying you know is that the old man is being put to death the new man is going to live in Christ for to me to live in Christ live as Christ to die as gain unfortunately as we live in Christ again the Lord bestows many good things to us I mean and we can get accustomed to the blessings of this life, to the point where we can start to think, I could lose some of these blessings if I speak the truth. And then we start hanging on to this world a little bit too tight. That's that's my whole point. We start hanging on too tight, and we lose the courage that we're supposed to have. I mean, remember, we supposedly have given all this up for Jesus Christ. And we have to remember that's what took place when we were baptized. There was a death, the old man of sin, and we gave up on this world. We are now pilgrims walking through this world, Mm. waiting, you know, for our hope to be revealed. And so uh, we have to, in my opinion, we have to not hang on so tight to the good things the Lord has given us in this world and to keep our eyes set, on the hope that is
1: to come, you know, it, it, we have examples. Second Timothy chapter four, Demas, when here was Paul, you know, saying, "At my last defense, no one stood with me, but the but the Lord stood with me." And prior to that, pointing out that Demas, who loved this present world, right, had forsaken him and others. It, it wasn't just Demas; several others did as well, and and it shows us. How I, I think not only can our courage be contagious, but also our fear and weakness can as well. Peter, you you alluded to in Galatians 2 earlier, when Peter had separated himself from the uncircumcised because some of the circumcision had come around. And it it wasn't just Peter, right? His influence was so great that he even got Barnabas. Yeah. Yep. right the son of encouragement uh to to do the same thing and and so you know th- those those acts that we engage in can uh can be uh, you know uh it can influence others right and, and so sometimes surrounding ourselves by those who are courageous can help us to become courageous but if we surround ourselves by those who are fearful, those who love the world, then that that's going to influence us. And and to say that it won't is to deceive ourselves. Ye who thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. And 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 that's something that we must always examine ourselves and make sure that our affections are set on things above and not on the things of this world.
0: Yeah, that goes both ways. We can be influenced. By a, a good, we can influence others by our good example. We can influence others by our bad example. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what we have there in Philippians 1. Paul influenced <laughs> others for good by his good example. And uh, Peter, by his bad example, influenced Barnabas. And so, yes, that's something that we need to be thoughtful of. Thomas Thornhill writes in Colossians 4, six: a big challenge with boldness is not crossing the line. Many are overly harsh or even insulting in the name of boldness. Okay, well, boldness, I think some people take boldness uh, to mean uh, something different than what the Bible means, but boldness basically in the Bible is talking about being uh, courageous or confident. And,
1: uh, it, it's still in the realm of, of love and humility and meekness um, you know, it, it, being bold with all of those things. But I mean, he's right. We can speak the truth, but re- be wrong in how we do it. And I think in one sense, the Ephesians in Revelation chapter two, verses one through seven is example of that, right? Because of what they spoke and standing against the Nicolaitans, they were, they were right in that, but why were they doing? What was their motivation? Because they had left their first love, right? And so, in one sense, you you could be you know the idea that well, you're speaking the truth, but you're doing it just because you want to be right rather than a concern for their soul. Um, and and so you know sometimes our attitude can get in the way, but again, that that turns everything back upon ourselves rather than relying upon God. And I think Josh oftentimes refers to the idea that, You know, it's not about our strength, but the strength that we receive from Christ uh, as we turn to him.
2: And I want to add to that. Obviously, that's a that's that's a true point. You know, we can't just be a jerk and and say, well, I'm just speaking boldly. Well, no, you're a jerk. (laughs) But on the other hand, I think some people think that speaking the truth in love is mutually exclusive with speaking boldly. And they're not mutually exclusive you can speak the truth in love while at the very same time speak boldly in truth and and i i want to i think we ought to appreciate the fact that speaking the truth in love doesn't mean it's always going to be flowery speech you look at Matthew 23, the most scathing rebuke that Jesus offers, he's speaking the truth in love. It's the motivation behind which he is speaking. After all, at the end of the chapter there, he's calling upon the Jerusalem. He says, how I want to draw you to myself like a mother hen draws her chicks, but you were not willing. That's the love that he has for these people. And yet he called them whitewashed tombs. (laughs) And he spoke boldly about them and rebuked their sin, but he did so in love. And I, so those things aren't always mutually exclusive. And I, I like to point people to Matthew 23 sometimes when, <laughs> you know, to, to show what speaking in truth and love can, can look like sometimes. Um, but obviously, again, we can't take that too far. Um, and, and, you know, some people are going to need to be spoken to differently, too. Um, but, you know, going back to, to what uh, you had said earlier about the zeal. And kind of touching on what Richard said, I think there, there has to be a conviction. Um, there, it, it boils down to a conviction in the, the message that you're speaking. And I think about the prophets of the Old Testament, because they were constantly being sent to a nation who didn't want to hear their message. Over and over and over and over and over, and over again, the prophets go and speak and the people don't listen. And then you read about Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 20, beginning in verse 7, where he says, I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For I, each time I speak, I cry aloud. I call out violence and devastation because for me, the word of Yahweh has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then, it, in my, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot prevail. Now here you have Jeremiah frustrated because he, the people aren't hearing him. They're rejecting him. They're mocking him. And, and he seems like he's just going to throw his hands up and say, it's fine. You don't want to hear it? I'm not going to preach it anymore. But I can't help it. I just can't help speaking. Because he had conviction in the message that he was speaking, he believed in the message that he was bringing. He couldn't help but speak it to these people who were lost and dying. And so I think there's that zeal that we ought to have, but also that conviction in the truth that this is the truth of of the word of God. And these people need this truth or else they're going to die in sin. And so I think a lot of those things help us to overcome some of the, the temptation not to be bold. In absolutely yeah second well,
1: Thessalonians 2 uh, uh, 10 through 14 talking about being deceived and those who are led astray because they did not receive a love of the truth they were perishing and and I think that goes with that conviction and, and that love of the truth uh, it can help but give you courage go ahead Richard
0: well Ezekiel you know we have the watchman the warning for the watchman. And I think that's something that uh, Paul reiterates in Acts chapter 20 is that the Lord tells you to warn people and you don't warn them, then uh, their, their their blood is on your hand. That, that They'll still be guilty and they're going to answer to Jesus, but their blood's going to be on you. You're going to answer too. And so that's something else that we have to realize when, when we're faced with this temptation Uh, we're going to have to, uh, we're going to be judged (laughs) by whether or not we're going to warn them or not. Now getting back to what Thomas said though, all right, you face that a lot of times people are so laden with fear that that they just blurt things out with no tact uh, uh, and, and they're incredibly blunt. And I can see where Thomas is talking about here, where, where the, you know, people get offended just because of the way the message has been put forth. And and I have spoken with people, met preachers who have said, you know, they may be too blunt, but at least they're getting the message out. You know, that that's a real, that's a danger. Uh, there is a time to rebuke sternly, and the Bible speaks of this. I mean, we have Elimus in Acts chapter 13. And, and Paul called him the son of the devil, the enemy of all righteousness. He was full of deceit, and villainy. Uh, you know, there, there's a time for that. We have in Acts chapter 8, we have the, uh, 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 what's his name? Simon. Simon the sorcerer. And uh, uh, Peter got on him pretty hard. Uh, and so, you know, th- there is a time to you know, talk harshly, but there, you know, uh, there is also the time, you know, when, when you're, when you see something just not to go crazy. Sometimes you just need to remind people what the scriptures are saying. And usually that's the first time, you know, if you become aware of something that there's a problem and you go to them, I mean, you're supposed to be careful how you approach them. Because you, you don't want to be tempted yourself. And so, you know, you want to think the best of them. And the, the best way to do that is to go to them and say, hey, listen, you know, do you remember this passage? Uh, or, you know, ha- have you read this passage? You know, to, just to make them aware, you're still being bold, but you're not being blunt. Uh, you, you're, you're going to them using a little tact. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, uh, oh, I've, I've heard this said before, and, and this is more like me. If I go to the hospital to visit somebody, I, you know, I have a hard time knowing what to say, and usually I'll go up to them and say, well, I hope you don't die. You know, that, that's not very tactful. You don't want to say something like that. And, and in the same way, when you're, you know, preaching the gospel, you you don't want to approach someone the first time and just and you know, and hit them the same way Eliamus got hit. I mean, there there was evidence to what was taking place. That's why Eliamus got what he got. Uh, but you know, the first time around, you know, you want to inform. I mean, that's that's the thing. Believe in the best of people. You know, Jesus died for us because he he believed in and he hoped for the very best that we had to offer. That's what he died for. He believed in it, and he really thinks we could see it. And so we need to share in that belief with Jesus. You know, I, If I'm preaching to Josh, I need to believe in the best that Josh has to offer. I mean, really believe in it, because I know it's true, or Jesus wouldn't have died for him. And so if we share that belief, then we need to let that frame our approach so that we're not going to someone like Thomas wrote about uh, where they cross the line and, and uh, they're being too harsh or, or uh, not using tact.
1: There is another aspect of that, just to briefly mention, and that is when you speak the truth, regardless of how kind and loving you come across and humble you come across, the truth is going to offend those who don't want to hear it. Yeah. And and there's no way you can say it, no approach you can take that will make it any easier for them to accept. And so sometimes, you know, you're going to be the worst person ever just simply because you spoke the truth regardless of how it was done, even if it was done the 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 best way possible because even Jesus, right? Look at how people reacted to Jesus preaching. In in that day, so um, so that that may happen, but again, that's why we're talking about this cor- courage and boldness, because they need to hear it. Because uh, you know we have a responsibility to put the truth out there for them, because they can't make a choice if they don't know the choice, right? And we can't make that choice for them. All we can do is present them with the choice and try to encourage them to uh to receive it and 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 make the right choice mm-hmm.
2: i'm gonna bring up dad's comment here he says i often said gentleness ought to be our default approach and the strong rebuke comes when that doesn't work and jesus is a perfect example of that and that, i i think that's true you know we shouldn't approach people initially with guns blazing um that's often not gonna be effective Um, there comes a point where our, our not so much boldness, but our hateful approach, you can say that can turn people away. And it's us that they're rejecting and not the message. Um, but I I guess somewhat to clarify my point there on Matthew 23, you know, I I do point out Matthew 23 is an example of speaking the truth in love. Uh, But I do think it should be understood that Jesus is speaking to people who he had had multiple, multiple run-ins with. He's not. This is not his first time speaking to the Pharisees, and he's just just kind of uh, tearing into them and just kind of rebuking them sharply, just because you know he's just observed them casually on the side. These are people that knew better, and these are people that he's constantly been dealing with and constantly been challenging him, and had constantly been been rejecting him. And trying to tear him down, and so at this point, Jesus does offer that very stern rebuke. Um, because the previous times they had been rejecting him, and so again, you know, I think both cases require boldness. Um, but that strong rebuke that you see there in Matthew 23 shouldn't probably not be our first approach there, <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: but, no, and- uh,
2: <coughs> Go keep ahead, in Rick. mind.
0: Keep in mind what what he already knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nicodemus came to him at night and said, "We know you come from God. Nobody can do these things unless God is sending." So I mean, they, you know, uh, yeah, they, they they were their hearts were deceptive. They wanted to deceive the people, mm-hmm. and uh, that kind of goes along with Elimus. I mean, it was the same type of of heart. And, uh, and, it, and it became manifest. I mean, it was something that was known. And when that becomes the case, I mean, if, if somebody's heart is made known, and you know they're trying to deceive people, then, yes, I think there is a time, you know, to speak harshly. Uh, and, uh, in fact, if you want to, uh, uh, just to be scriptural, if you want to use the same rebuke that Elimus got, then I think that would be perfectly okay. But as Thomas pointed out, not not the first time. You don't do that the first time. Yeah, you don't know what's in someone's heart until it's made manifest, and uh, they may be seeking. And, you know, why do you want to keep someone, you know, why do you want to uh, uh, keep someone from seeking God by discouraging them? You know, you want them, if they're seeking knowledge, then you want to make that, you want to make yourself easy for them to approach. You know, yeah. I, I, I there was a a preacher who was pretty harsh that we had when I was a teenage boy, but he announced to the church that he had a program that he could lead someone through the Bible and explain the whole thing. And I thought, man, that would be great for me, but that man scared me to death. And I can remember sitting in his driveway, uh, well, he, he lived there at the church. It was a side building, so I was in the parking lot of the church. But, I mean, it took me an hour to work up the courage to go knock on his door. And when I finally did, nobody was home. <laughs> but uh, it took me an hour. Now, looking back on that, that that's that's not what we want to do. We, we want someone to feel so you know, at ease with us that if they're seeking knowledge, they have no problem coming up to us and saying, you know, uh, as as, uh, uh, Philip was said by the Ethiopian eunuch, how can I unless some man guides me when he asked him if he understood what he read and he invites him up into the chariot. You know, that's, that's what, that's what, that's way we need to come across to people. You know, we can be courageous but still, be nice yeah. and approachable,
1: which which is a characteristic of of elders. You know that that they need to be approachable. That they need to be those that people have confidence and and trust in, and and are able and willing to approach. But but not to get into that as much as, um, I mean that the the gospel is calling everyone right. I mean, if you're going to call someone to Christ with his words i mean it it is something that you would hope you would come across in such a way that, that people would feel comfortable enough coming to you with with questions thoughts concerns you know uh, wanting to study wanting to learn or um you know, whatever whatever the the need is right and and uh, sometimes that takes courage sometimes it takes courage to ask questions uh, when we're trying to learn, we're trying to study, you know, and so there, there's there are different aspects of uh, of this this courage because of what the world has inundated us with, with this idea of, you know, uh, self, this idea of, you know, you you need to know it. You need to be the leader rather than being led. And I think that's one reason why the Bible uses the analogy of sheep. And, and a shepherd, right? Because we, we are led by God, by His Word, um, to uh, to the truth. And so God is leading us, and we need to be willing to be led. And sometimes that, in and of itself, takes a, little, a bit of courage.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Josh, last thoughts?
2: I guess just that we need more people willing to boldly speak. Um, I I think there's many people who are willing to speak, but they're more willing to just offer meat-flavored water than just the, the true meat of the Word. And we need we need the boldness to, to speak the truth in love and to, uh, to be unashamed to speak the truth and uh, knowing that it is the truth of God's Word, the words of eternal life. Yeah. Richard, last thoughts?
0: Well, some of these churches of Asia and Revelation chapter two and uh, three, you know, you got to wonder how come the brethren there at them churches were not standing up to those who were teaching error. And you know that that's where I think we really need to exercise our courage, our boldness is when we see error in the church, And we have to have enough courage to do things God's way, the the correct way. There's a process by which that is to be done. And I think Matthew chapter 18 uh, talks about that a a little bit, that when uh, 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 someone sins against you, you go to them and you talk to them. But uh, I I think that's a good good thing to do uh, is to go to them alone. Don't gossip about them just go to them and expect the best and uh, uh, but follow the process. I mean, if it doesn't go well, then uh, look, you know, go take two or three witnesses. And if that doesn't go well, then it goes before the church, but follow the process. And um, I, I, you know, that's too, too often that, that doesn't get followed. And I think that's part of speaking boldly in Christ is when, People see our example, so I, that's that's just my final thoughts.
1: Gotcha. Well, I, I hope folks will consider two things, uh, in addition to everything else that has been mentioned here, who do you desire to please, and who do you desire to glorify, and who do you want? I guess three thoughts: Who do you want to you know give you that pat on the back, ultimately? Right? It, it, are we just seeking? the world's approval, or are we seeking God's approval? And I think with that, uh, if we're seeking God's approval, uh, I think with that comes a great deal of courage and boldness uh, to speak the truth, to glorify Him, and to please Him rather than ourselves or anyone else of this world. And so, I hope folks will give that some thought and consideration as well. Appreciate everybody tuning in and listening. All the comments, uh, be sure and share it out to all your friends. Let them know Thursdays we are here every morning, 10 o'clock Central Time in the U.S. We appreciate it again so much. Those who tune in and listen and share out the program. Until next time, remember to search the scriptures with Berean spirits.
0: Well, folks, that's all for today. Don't worry. Lord willing, the guys will be back next week for another Bible study on Berean Spirits. Until then, let the guys hear from you. Drop them some email at bereanspirits at gmail.com. They'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep studying that Bible.